Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. Rena Raphael is the author of The Gospel of Wellness, Gyms, Gurus, Goop, and The False Promise of Self-Care. Rena is a journalist who specializes in health, wellness, tech, and women's issues. She was a features contributor for Fast Company Magazine and has also written for The New York Times, The Los Angeles Times, CBS, NBC News, and Medium's Elemental, among other publications. Her wellness industry newsletter, Well To Do, covers trends and news and offers market analysis. Raphael has spoken on the wellness industry and national conferences, such as the Global Wellness Summit and the Fast Company Innovation Festival. Previously, she served as a senior producer and lifestyle editor at Today.com and NBCNews.com. Welcome, Rena. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss the gospel of wellness, gyms, gurus, goop, and the false promise of self-care. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. There is just so much in the book. Every chapter I was like, okay, let's talk about this. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. This too. Yeah. Let's talk about green juice. Like let's talk about all the things. Basically your book is like, let's take apart all of these assumptions and everything that's made the self-care wellness business into what it is today and dismantle it and see like, wait, what, what, what's really working? What's science? What's not? And all of that, right? <laughs> you might have a better pitch, but that's what I got. Well, I'll also say just why we're so attracted to wellness. Like how did it become such a huge industry and specifically over the last 10 years and why is it always women and why are women targeted more than men? I thought that was the most fascinating part of the research I did about like what women were looking for and how much pain they're in in America. Yeah. You talked about sort of debunking this notion of adrenal fatigue and is that even a thing? You know, everybody's so tired and you're like, well, is it adrenal fatigue or are we just actually running ourselves into the ground and looking for quick, quick-ish fixes to, to get us out of like the corner where we've, well, the hole that we've dug ourselves into rather? Yeah. I mean, it's probably more appealing to you know, just take a pill or a supplement than to deal with the actual issues that are making us feel so tired and so sluggish and just 
depleted. We love a quick fix and I don't blame people. They don't necessarily have the time to deal with this stuff. Yep. It's so funny. When I had COVID, I think the first time or something, um, I was like, I, I think I'm really, you know, dehydrated and whatever. I remember like calling my doctor and my, and I was like, well, what, what should I do? You know, I, I don't even know. And he's like, well, quickest way to fight hydrate dehydration is to drink water. <laughs> like there's nothing else you can do. Do you know what I mean? Like I was like, I should get this. I should take this pill. I should do this. You know, there, I, should I get an injection? He's just like, just drink, just drink your water. And it, right. it's just such a perfect, uh, yeah. Metaphor for, for <laughs> the shortcuts we're all looking for. Yeah. But I'll say this is that when we buy these fancy products or I don't know, IV injections, whatever it is, we feel like we're taking action. There's a psychological impact of like, well, I'm doing this extra thing. So it must mm-hmm. mean more, but oftentimes you're just wasting money. You could have just had a glass of water. <laughs> I could have just, which is what I ended up doing, but then I had to pay the doctor. So anyway, shame on me. <laughs> you know, I'm, first of all, I'm really sorry about the loss of your dad. You wrote about that in the book and really beautifully, in fact. And I was really struck by how that was the way that you sort of dissected this community aspect of places like SoulCycle or particular gyms and classes that purport to really unify you. And then in your time of need, it was turned out it was your synagogue, which is actually is an experience I had sort of similarly. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, look who's showing up for me, even though I, I give so little in emotionally and get so much out of it. And what, what does community mean when it comes to exercise? So tell me a little bit about all of that. Yeah. And uh, my point in that chapter isn't that everyone should go and join a synagogue. No, Um, I know. I know. I'm sorry. I didn't. No, no, no. I I didn't mean that that. you alluded to that. But just the fact that, you know, one thing religion has, and it's definitely not perfect, is that they've had centuries to perfect certain aspects, including community, and they have different entry points. And the point of that chapter is to say that, you know, I had a specific experience where I wanted to see people more, but I was exhausted and getting my friends together for dinner was like herding cats. Uh, If anyone's been on a text message thread trying to get all their friends together, it's so painful. And so I kind of fell for the marketing that was all about, you know, boutique gym is your family, your community, your tribe. And I had a personal experience where, you know, you go through a major milestone and you know, I laugh that your soul cycle instructor isn't going to come over with a casserole. There are no memorial rites there. And this idea of like, when I needed community, I was not going to go work on my body. It was ludicrous. I needed something more. And throughout my research, you know, I found that a lot of people, because they counted on their gym to be their community, were often left kind of hand, you know, holding the bag, you know, if they lost their job, do you think that they can go to a soul cycle or boutique gym and be like, Hey, I can still come, right? You're my family. Absurd. Or, you know, there was actually a gym that I profiled for fast company in New York city that was just for pregnant women. Uh, It was a gym specifically for them. And when I interviewed these women, they all told me the same thing. I was kicked out of my gym once I was in my third trimester. And these people were my community. Like, where do I go? And so they had to build their own gym. So, you know, I'm not saying everyone depends on their gym for community, but just, you know, what are we being sold and how does the marketing get it to what's really the problem in America? Because we we have a loneliness crisis here. We don't get to see our friends enough. We don't have communal support. And the industry comes in and sells us all these things that we want to hear. We even questioned, like, what does it even mean to be well? Like, what what oh. are we, what is the goal here? 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of the issue with the wellness industry. And again, this book is really nuanced. It goes into the good, the bad, and the whole lot in between. But uh, the term wellness, right? It basically means everything that medicine and insurance won't touch. So it's basically nutrition, sleep, relaxation techniques. But because there is no definition of it, and because it's so individualized, what I need to feel good is completely different than what you need. It's devolved into this really ambiguous marketing term that can literally mean anything. It can mean medicine meditation as much as it means activated charcoal toothpaste. And that's how this industry has grown so big because there's no guardrails. And the problem is, is that it's devolved, again, comes from good intentions into this hyper-consumerist, individualist culture that's just bursting with productivity pressures. And over the years, we've seen more and more women come forward and say, why do I have to eat exactly right, do this exact thing, and then just buy all this stuff? How is that actually helping me because in some cases it could just add more burdens and women are stressed enough as it is in this country especially moms yes very true <laughs> not you don't have to go into the whole science of it but i have always been a, like against the cleanse mentality mm. like i've never done a cleanse i've always looked at it questionably like really are we all doing cleanses like i don't understand like why are you guys only drinking water and lemon and honey for like three days straight. This can't be good. Where's, the, you know, so you put that under a microscope as you do so much else. Tell me what you're, <laughs> where you came out on that. Well, I'm sorry to hear that you're not pure enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not pure. <laughs> but yeah, there is this whole kind of obsession with clean. And the problem is, is that a lot of this doesn't have any or very little scientific evidence. And a lot of times it's just diet culture in disguise. You know, we're not allowed to use the word diet anymore because of the body positivity movement. And so all these different subcultures were like, well, I guess we got to use the term wellness. I guess we need to you know, hide our diet underneath some sort of cockamamie cleanse, which again, just adds more pressures to women. But again, you know, a lot of this stuff is rooted in legitimate complaints. A lot of people have legitimate complaints against the medical industry or our food supply. And so they do these things that they feel like can sort of counteract all these things that they don't like. And I understand that appeal. The problem is, is that, you know, for example, just because there are, again, major issues within our healthcare industry doesn't mean alternative medicine has the answer in the same way that just because you might be upset with something that's going on in your grocery aisle doesn't mean a cleanse is the answer. But again, it's sold to us and it's in every media outlet. It's repeated all over your Instagram. And so when you see things repeated over and over again, you don't question them. You sort of just take them as fact. And it's not just influencers, the media as well. I mean, I, in the book, I go into how many women's magazines pair with these things because they don't check with medical experts. And I was one of them. I, I'm a former yeah. wellness industry reporter. I, I myself did that. You even talk a lot about skincare, and I like how you sort of dissect all of uh, <laughs> all of these different parts of the wellness industry and really tackle them head on. Your reporting skills themselves, like you're obviously like just ridiculously bright, and it's very wonderful. It's just great to be the beneficiary of all of your hard work. That I I'm going to take my chair that quote, and open, print that out, deliver it to my husband, and plaster it all over the house. That you said <laughs> I am very bright. <laughs> Oh, come on. Seriously. You can just, I mean, not the book, the, I mean, all of it. But when you talked about skincare and I was really interested, I know Greg Renfrew from Beauty Counter through like family 
connections in part, but I use Beauty Counter, but I don't exclusively use Beauty Counter. I also use like whatever <laughs> happens to be there, what was sent or, and I liked how you questioned, I mean, the claims of that company and even for Goop, honestly, and you just tackle these giant companies and you're like, okay, well, let's really get in there. Are the trace levels of these things in, you're not eating your toiletries. Does it really matter? how little of a something is in what you're using for your overall health. Yes. And it should be noted that I named Beauty Counter our most innovative company when I was at Fast Company Magazine. So a lot of this book is, again, me as a reporter doing what too many reporters did, which is just taking claims at face value, not questioning them. And basically my awakening to a lot of the things that were sold in wellness are way more complicated than is being sort of delivered to the consumer. So yeah, uh, I did kind of a 180 on beauty counter. And by the way, I love their products as well. I use them. I just take issue with some of the fear mongering that's going on right now because it's having, it's having unintended effects. It's making people terrified of their products. Products. It's also excluding a whole bunch of communities that can't afford these very pricey products. And you see this a lot within wellness where it's either fear-mongering people, like you have to buy our products or something bad's going to happen to you and your children, mm-hmm. or it's tied to an aspirational lifestyle. Goop does this very, very well, where you believe if you consume what Gwyneth consumes, you will look like Gwyneth, or it's to show off your athleisure or whatever it is. But it's these two things that I think can be very, very detrimental. And so my point in that chapter is to say there are, again, legitimate issues within you know our beauty supply, but should we be made terrified of our body wash? And what are the consequences of that? Yeah, it's true. You should see my, I have a teenage daughter who follows all these skincare people on Instagram or you know, TikTok or she's like, you can't use these wipes. You have to use muscle or water. You can't use this. You can't. And I'm like, I've been using it forever. I'm fine. You know, (laughs) but okay, fine. I won't use this product anymore. And they're these giant brands. Like is Neutrogena really so bad? You know, I don't know. (laughs) Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. <laughs> but also think of how much headspace that's taking up. Like think of like, I, you know, I make the joke, why isn't my husband afraid of his deodorant? But every woman I know is terrified of everything. It's not an exaggeration when I say that I know moms were having breakdowns in grocery aisles being like, what can I buy here? I, I don't think it's productive. And I, I think it's to some degree misogynistic. They prey on women, specifically moms. I go into the book about it, specifically how organic snack brands target moms that make them fearful because they have something to gain, mm-hmm. a purchase. And they know that women will respond to it more than men. Hmm. I'm trying to take the concept of fear mongering and see like how many industries really use this as a tactic. How, how many? Can? Oh, a ton, a ton. <laughs> and and I think one of the issues that we're seeing with wellness is that because it's become sort of the industry du jour, a lot of people, a lot of publicists, marketers who used to work in the beauty, fashion, even alcohol industries have all migrated to wellness. So, you know, I've been a, you know, a reporter for almost, you know, 15, 20, more than 15 years. A lot of the people who used to pitch me fashion and beauty brands now pitch me supplements and green mm-hmm. juices. And so I think the more people are aware that they're being manipulated to some degree, they'll pause before getting on the next big trend or, you know, going all in on some marketing claim. And, you know, I always kind of remind people like, Hey, remember eight years ago, we were all into bone broth and then it was green juice. And then it was like cucumber juice. And then it was uh, kombucha, uh, then coconut water. Now it's chlorophyll. It keeps moving and moving. And we're treating health and wellness like fashion fads. Mm -hmm. And women say, Oh yeah, I remember when I was into that. And I'm like, well, you know, why do we keep you know, migrating from trend to trend. And mm-hmm. it's because these trends don't deliver on their promises. It's a lot like fad diets. Why do people go from keto to paleo to Atkins? It's because they're unsustainable or they don't deliver. And so they just put their faith in the next best thing. Yeah. I've tried every diet, I feel like, for a <laughs> long too. time. And then I actually, I was a Weight Watchers leader for a little while, which was fascinating <laughs> yeah, in terms of back in the day. This is a long time ago, way before the rebrand that you talked about in the book. But, you know, there, uh, I wrote in my memoir, like, m- I was so obsessed with my Weight Watchers lifestyle for years that I'm like convinced it was an eating disorder after a while. Like I could not eat without counting. And like, anyway, I'm not going to get into that or what, you know, but it, it is like disordered eating of a kind when like you cannot eat an almond without calculating how many points does it add up to the day and does it destroy your week and da, 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 da. like, yeah, heads, I like uh, the amount the of time I spent yes. adding it up and at least I was doing math, you know, that's my only saving grace. <laughs> I am in the same boat. Uh, To this day, I cannot have a piece of bread or a sandwich. I'll eat around it, but I will eat ice cream and cookies. I was made terrified of bread when I was in Atkins. And people always say, Rena, you you just, you're about to eat ice cream, but you won't eat the the bread. And I'm like, yes, bread is evil. I can't get rid of it. It's, you know, these things stay with us. They get Mm -hmm. embedded. And that's why, you know, restrictive fad diets can be so harmful. And again, like, what are we doing to women in this country? Why are we driving them crazy? Did you see the, uh, that, uh, it was called Odd Mom Out, right? With the the Jill Kargman show. Have you ever watched that? I haven't, but I heard such great things. Oh my things. gosh, you have to go I love her. watch it. She's hilarious and the show was so fantastic. But there was a scene with, I don't know, four to six women like sitting around the table and the waiter comes over with the bread basket and he's like, bread ladies? And they're all like, no bread. 
Anyway, I should find it and send it to you. (laughs) That was was the gist of it, but it was much funnier in the show. (laughs) So in terms of the book part of this whole research journey, how much time, it must have taken forever to do all of this research because you really dive deep into a lot of different things. And then I'm curious about the writing process itself. And also, are you scared of these big companies that you talk about, even though you're not necessarily saying anything bad, but are you are you afraid at all of, of what the response will be or has been? Well, I hope that they take it the way I intended it, which is that it's nuanced. And that was my point of it. And it's not saying these are evil companies, although, I mean, I'm pretty critical of Goop, Um, but (laughs) a lot of them have good intentions. I think even Gwyneth oftentimes has good intentions. She's just misguided and refuses to listen to scientists and doctors. Um, (laughs) But uh, He said that in such a nice way. You could not um, have said that any nicer. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. In fact, some of the criticism I got from the book is you should have gone harder. And I don't think so. I think that the reader is smart enough to be presented with some of the evidence and make their own decisions on how to evaluate these sectors. But yeah, I, it, it is strange to have been a wellness industry reporter who propped up a lot of these companies and then realized, you know, midway through her career, a lot of this isn't based on science and a lot of this is having unintended effects. And I make the comparison that the way a lot of us treated wellness years ago is the way we thought about uh, social media 15 years ago. We were so excited for Facebook and all these companies and we just didn't see where it would end up. And so Mm -hmm. I had to reevaluate these companies. So it's a little bizarre. In terms of the research, a lot of it is based on my research of having been a wellness industry reporter and a health writer. But yeah, this book took me years. And oftentimes I would start out with a presumption and call up a bunch of doctors and they'd be like, actually, you're completely wrong. And I would have to change the entire chapter. That happened a lot. And it was really, really eye-opening. And I think throughout the book, you see me being just as shocked as everyone else. I think Clean Beauty is a perfect example of that in which... You know, I would call up a toxicologist and they'd be like, yeah, it's mostly marketing. I'd be like, well, I don't like what he said. And I call up another, same thing, call up another. And I realized it was much more complicated than I ever, ever thought. I mean, just to play devil's advocate for a moment, you that implies you trust the doctors. Do you know what I mean? Like you never know. (laughs) Sometimes I'm like, well, this doctor says this thing and this doctor says that thing. This doctor, you know, maybe they're trying to sell X, Y, you know, the doctors are also trying to sell a lot of times their own medicines or their prescriptions for different things, or I don't know. I'm just saying everyone has a, a vested interest totally. in the ecosystem. And I also definitely spoke to people who said the opposite, but I will say this. I don't think you should take advice from any just one. I mean, I think you should, people should work with their doctors, but there's one, there's a difference between trusting just one doctor and then actually looking at sort of uh, medical guidelines or that sector society guidelines. Yes. So for example, sure, you could be like, trust a doctor. Well, what if your doctor's Dr. Oz, right? But if the entire uh, cardiology association says something, you should probably listen to that consensus (laughs) of doctors. So for example, when 80% of the toxicology association says that EWG is dealing with fear-mongering, I'm going to take that to heart because that's more than one toxicologist. You're right. I knew I shouldn't have taken it. I, I, I knew I shouldn't have played devil's advocate with you. No, <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. But but the other thing is, is that I was a devil's advocate years before. I, know, yeah. I, I gave a lot of airtime to these companies. I, I interviewed their founders. I interviewed their staff. So I feel like I actually have a really good balance of both sides. And again, it's not trashing many of these companies. Know, it's just no, saying it's uh, it's... 
it's a lot more than people realize and they're not being given the full information and they deserve it. Consumers aren't stupid. Women aren't stupid. Treat them like adults. Give them the full information. Not to mention how much disposable income people spend on so many of these things. Um, right. That, that comes at a cost, not just the finance. What are they giving up by investing in this? Right. It's wasted time and money. But in some cases, you know, if you rely on a supplement because you think you have adrenal fatigue, that stands in the way of real therapeutic treatments. You have, might yes. have a real condition that could have a real treatment. Yep. And and you're, it, that can actually lead to adverse effects. So it's not always harmless. And it's not just a matter of like, oh, I wasted a couple bucks here. Right. It can be dangerous. True. Okay. What are you taking on next? That's such a good question. Oh gosh. I mean, <laughs> uh, I'll say one thing that I don't recommend writing a book that has to deal with so many subsectors. The book mm-hmm. took so long because I had to deal with nutrition, but also supplements and spirituality. It really took years to do this book. So I'm like, the next book has to be like one topic. <laughs> That's funny. Well, it was really eye-opening as a consumer and someone in this sort of market who has been marketed to and has adopted some, but not all of the things like most women of you know a certain age or I don't know. I'm just like in the, I'm in this bucket. And for me, I found it very, very interesting and eye-opening and just intellectually fascinating. And it changes the way I, I see our world right now, which is like one of the best things a book can do. I hope so. Well, I'm so glad you enjoyed it and thank you for having me. Okay. Thanks for coming. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 